Whether you're buying a new car or used one, it's a big investment, which is why you should choose Pennzoil Platinum. It helps extend the life of your engine and protect it up to 15 years or 500,000 miles, whichever comes first, guaranteed. That's because Pennzoil's base oil is made from natural gas and 99.5% free from engine clogging impurities. The proof is in the Pennzoil. Enrollment required. Keep your receipts. Other conditions apply. See Pennzoil.com warranty for full details. Find it at Firestone Complete Auto Care. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Uh, we are thrilled to be sponsored by Audible.com. And because Audible.com has so much more to offer um, outside of audiobooks, which we know about and, and you know, are terrific, uh, we're offering you a free trial. You can go to audibletrial.com slash business growth, explore around and not, you know, check out the audiobook titles, but also uh, take a look at all the other content that is there for you. Over the years, the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast has gained recognition as a great resource for uh, business owners, sales professionals, business leaders, uh, anyone looking for ideas, information that they can use in their business to make improvements, do better things, uh, have better results. And that is because of the guests. These are folks who have expertise in particular areas of business, and they join me for a conversation where they share that expertise with all of you. That way you get what you need when you need it. You can always go back and re-listen to an episode to uh, refresh yourself. You know, everything is um, pretty much evergreen and, and is there for you to enjoy. And today is no different. My guest today is Audie Penn. Audie is the principal and owner of Audie Penn Consulting. He's been working in consulting for over 30 years, providing different services to several Fortune 50 companies in diverse industries and organizations. His approach is a lean transformation by applying coaching, training, and project facilitation with local teams securing a solid foundation. Audie has been most notable as a global consultant where he combines tactical leadership skills with pro, uh, process focus improvements. Some of his clients are Caterpillar, John Deere, Martin Marietta, and Han. 
Thanks so much for joining me today, Adi. Yeah, thanks for having me, Diane. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. I am as well. Um, and, and we're going to be talking about culture and, and business and, you know, the impact that it has and most likely um, spending some, a significant amount of time talking about the current situation that we were in. And I had said in the introduction that um, these episodes are evergreen and they are, I think, no matter when people listen to them, um, they're going to get valuable information. And um, we are recording this. I would love to say like toward the end, but I'm not quite sure where we are with the whole COVID-19 pandemic. And um, so while there are things that leaders are going through and employees are going through and therefore companies um, right now, I'm pretty confident that what we're going to be talking about translates no matter what the environment is that a company finds itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I want to start, if we could, with you providing us with um, a description of or talking about the impact of organizational culture on business performance. Mm -hmm. I think the idea that comes to mind there is, is a, a recent discovery of my own, and I'll, I'll frame it in this language. Often I find organizations are struggling with their lean or operational excellence deployments. And there's a statistic that gets kicked around quite often that 70 to 90% of operational excellence or lean deployments end up in failure. And my initial response to that was, well, they're doing it incorrectly. I need to understand why they're doing it incorrectly. But I think I've, I've actually adjusted that language to not incorrectly, but incompletely. And there's the connection to your question. Huh. And for me, the connection is we can do process improvement very well, but if the rest of the organization is disconnected, the, the sponsors or the leadership level or the, the management level, the process owners, then we can't sustain or continue to find ways to improve those processes. And it seems like we just continue to solve the same problems over and over again. That is so interesting. Okay. So if I'm hearing you right, a company decides they want to go through process improvement in some area of the business, but they don't necessarily have complete buy-in from everyone involved. So they go through the process and then everyone walks away and they go back to the way things were. Yes. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So that feels to me like the buy-in has to start at the very top and then has to be pushed down. Is that a fair assessment? I would say yes, there's, there's one word though that made me shudder and that is pushed because <laughs> when, when those sponsors, and it's the language that I use to refer to leaders, when, when leaders actually show up and they're clear with their organizations about what's important, it's easy for organizations to align to that. And, and one of the questions that I ask often is, how many of you came to work today to fail? 
and no one answers the question yes. So, so I always say, well, if that's true of us, don't you think that's true of everyone in our organization? We fail them by not being clear about talking about what's important. Yeah, boy. And we really don't talk enough about it, right? Yes. Wow. What, so, so how does the leader go about having those conversations or sharing that information? There's a process that uh, I spend time with executives and, and local leadership uh, working through. In the Japanese, it's called Hoshin Kanri. Uh, translated into the Western world, it, it, we often hear it as strategy deployment. And so a leader knows what they want. They, they, they're watching the landscape. They, they, they know what value we're supposed to be creating for our customers. Often the leader just hasn't created the necessary language to communicate that. And I, and I discover this frequently when I ask the question, what do you have that you don't want or what do you want that you don't have? And often leaders haven't been asked that question before and it just, they freeze up because now I'm reaching into that feeling that I have inside that I may never have discussed. And now I've got to find words for that. And so yeah. that conversation helps them find the means to communicate. And then we start to negotiate how that's going to be accomplished down into the organization. Okay. I find, I find this so interesting because when you said leaders know what they want, I thought to myself, really? Always? <laughs> do they really? Or is it that they do, like, am I hearing that they just don't know how to talk about it? I find more often that they struggle to talk about it. Okay. They, there's, there's this feeling, this sense that we have inside us. I, I know what I need to accomplish. Why aren't we doing it? I know what my customer needs. Why aren't we? But these are all thoughts. Yeah. And they rattle around and they rattle around. And sometimes when they come out, a leader will actually say, wait, I don't, I don't really believe that. But that may have been the first time that they ever heard themselves think out loud. Hmm. That's a great starting point because yeah. there's something in there that's real. But at the same time, they never realized, holy cow, I've never heard myself say this out loud. I need to modify that a little bit before I actually take this new thought to my team and say, this is what we're all about. Huh. This is so interesting for me because boy, I mean, this is the one thing I notice so frequently is, is leaders. Like when I talk to them, they'll say, Oh, everybody knows what our mission is. Like everybody knows what our goals are and where we're going. And I, and I think, well, no, they don't. You think they do because you told them once, but they don't. So. That's if, exactly if, correct. That's exactly right? correct. Okay. I, I, I want to, I want to sort of shift us over into what is going on right now, because I think it is probably pretty challenging for lead, even leaders who know what they want and know how to articulate it. Now they're in this very strange time where there's a lot of uncertainty and um, on so many levels, 
and they might be working completely in, in completely different atmospheres and environments than they were before. And things are changing almost constantly. How do they communicate with their, like how do they maintain a, um, a constructive culture in a situation like we're going through now? I've, I've got an interesting story to share with you. Great. Um, from a recent conversation with a client uh, in Texas. And I had a conversation with the regional president and he said to me, and th this made me feel really good, but it also made me realize that the impact of what I had t taught his team was showing up. He said, I can see the work that you've done with my team show up in their response to the, the COVID-19 crisis. And I said, oh, great, tell me what that looks like. Yeah. And he said, they immediately identified what needed to happen to protect the team on the, on the ground in the field. And they designed and defined the standard work for personal protection. They trained the team to these changes. And then they audited how the team responded and executed those changes. And he said, Audie, that's exactly what you teach us over and over and over again. Mm. And, and his point was, I didn't have to tell them to do that. Yeah. I simply had to say, we've got to respond to this COVID-19 crisis. And they immediately executed their improvement process where he pointed. Okay, so if I am hearing that correctly, what, how, I'll tell you how I'm hearing that. Mm -hmm. That when, a, when there is a really effective culture in an organization where the leader knows what they want and they know how to um, communicate it effectively, that when the unexpected happens, the people are already equipped to confront whatever is going on. Yes. Wow. That makes all the difference. It, it absolutely does. And, and it, it really creates a resilient organization. And I know yeah. that's a word that, that, that is surfacing right now, but for me, that's a word that's been in play for almost 30 years. Yeah. Um, and, and what we're seeing now is how the strategy systems feed the management systems so that as soon as those target conditions or those target performance uh, expectations are communicated, the management system kicks in and the teams participate in making the changes in the process that align to the new targets. And does that help the staff, um, does it decrease some of the um, impact of all of the uncertainty or, or, you know, like the stress that people experience when it's, there's so much that's unknown? Yes, absolutely oh. does. It absolutely does. There's a, there's a phrase that one of my mentors shared with me many years ago that really is in play right now. And he said, in these times of crisis, we can't provide certainty 
we can only provide clarity. Ah, that's huge. Wow. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have some more questions for you. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have thousands of titles to choose from, as well as podcasts, Audible originals, guided meditations, and more. One of my favorite audiobooks is Everyone Deserves a Great Manager by Scott Miller. For me, I love being able to listen to it anywhere and across my devices without losing my place. And I think you will too. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth to explore the variety of audiobooks and programs for yourself. Another element to that story. So when I, I, when I left the conversation with the, with the regional president and I went and had a conversation with the vice president of operations over this group, um, he shared a story that he had received from one of his plant managers where one of the employees had approached the plant manager and said, I really want to thank you for your response to COVID. He said, I feel, this is the employee to the plant manager, I feel safer at work than I do even at home. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, so that, that just feels like when COVID hit and things were crazy, the leadership just stepped up and engaged in some sort of strategy, you know, planning, and then um, implemented it so that what, what people were getting from it was, okay, as you said, you know, we, I can't give you certainty, but here's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. And the people like that, right? We'd like to feel like, okay, at least we're all not sitting around going, wow, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. But I want to I add one layer there, because when you really do the performance systems, the, the, the process improvement work, I, I, I've kind of encompassed it in language that I call the performance systems. When you do that work correctly, the workforce is actually participating with the management. Yeah. And so there's shared ownership in that. Okay, well, so will you tell us more about that? Like if I'm a business owner and I'm listening to this, mm -hmm. how do I make sure that I'm doing that? What does that mean to include you know, the staff in the process? Uh, some of the specific tools that I start with are process maps, right? So, so when we look at the process, and I'm gonna stay in this, this COVID environment, when we look at the process of changing the way that we operate on a site, you've got to take into consideration social distancing. You've got to take into consideration wearing masks. You've got to take into consideration the potential of cross-contamination of different functional groups. And so when they looked at all of those challenges, they would come back with potential solutions that say, well, let's take a look at our shifts and the functions that are working together in those shifts, I think we need to divide them up into the right teams and separate those teams for breaks and for lunches and for punches. And, and so they started to really rotate shifts. And that was the way that the, 
that the team, the workforce came back and said, well, we know what we do and we know where we interact with others. These are the logical changes that we can make to achieve what you just put in front of us. And I don't know if that adds a level of clarity, but we're moving in the right direction, I believe. Right, 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 right. Well, it gives them the opportunity to, to problem solve and they know their processes best because they're the ones doing them all the time. Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that comes with that is you don't have to push. Right. They, <laughs> they designed it. They defined it. They developed it. They own it. Yeah. Yeah. And they feel a certain sense of control, which I think is one of the biggest problems with uncertainty. Yes. Is not feeling any control. Yes. I would agree with that completely. Yeah. Um, shoot. I had a question that just totally left my head. Oh, I know what it was. <laughs> so what if there are people who, when the leader comes to them and says, okay, listen, you know, here's the situation and here's what we need to figure out. And they go, uh, okay, well, tell me what to do and I'll do it, but I I'm not making that decision. I I'm, I'm not doing that. We actually run into that a lot. And those are the people that I really want on those project teams. Uh, it really, it, so now you've really laid me into the fourth element of what my team and I do when we engage with different clients, and that is the leadership systems. It really takes consistent and respect, respectful approaches in these conversations. Um, I'll give you another quick story. We were conducting a project with uh, a local operating company in Kentucky of all places. And there were two team members that were just not used to participating in these conversations, but yet we were consistent in our conversation and our approach. So one of the things that I always do is I talk to people by name. And in the second meeting, uh, JW shows up and I said, hey, JW, how's it going today? And he looked at me like, I can't believe you remembered my name. And so we get into the conversation and I say, okay, wait a minute, this is, this is JW's work. Hey, JW, what do you think about this? How do you see this, this problem or what solutions do you have in mind? And, and for the first three weeks, he did not want to participate. But because I was consistent in my respectful approach, by the, by the third week, he actually started to realize, wait a minute, these folks actually, they appreciate my opinion, they're interested in my opinion, maybe I can start sharing a little bit of this. So that leadership system says, you need to understand what relationships are there and how to develop those. You need to understand how to truly listen to people, not listen to respond, but listen to understand. You have to understand how to speak effectively and you simply have to show people there's, there's a, a lean philosophy. It's one of the foundational philosophies, and it's simply stated, respect every individual. And when you show up with a leadership presence that actually communicates respect, you get a whole new conversation. And so what you're referring to or what you're bringing up is you've got a leadership presence that created that. Yeah. You need to shift your leadership presence if you're going to break through that. I see. Do you think it is, 
I mean, it sounds like you're saying that it is possible for if the leadership has created a situation like that for them to be able to fix it. Mm -hmm. Okay. That feels like that takes a lot of time. It, it, it takes more courage than time. And I'll give you, I'll give you a perfect example from yeah. my own personal experience. Okay. Um, it, it, at, this was at Caterpillar actually. Um, I, I was not in a very good place and I encountered the union committeeman. And I'm, I'm a relatively large guy. I'm six foot three and weigh 225 pounds. And, and sometimes that's enough to intimidate people. And because I was not in a very good place, uh, he asked me a question and I'm sure when I left, he felt like a grizzly bear just tore him to shreds. Oh. And I knew when I walked away, I'm, I'm already going, oh man, why did, you lay, why did you lay that on top of him? Huh. And I went on and I did my business because I was, I was under some, some pre time pressure to get something accomplished, but I went back to him and I apologized and I said, you know, here's what was going on for me. I'm sorry that you received that from me. It wasn't about you, it, it was about me. Can you forgive me? And can you please ask me your question again? Wow. When we create that leadership presence, if you really wanna start the ball rolling, you go back, you show up and you own up to the way that you showed up and you say, I'm trying to change direction and I'm really interested in having a conversation with you about this problem. Will you talk to me about this? Now, they may not believe you the first time, right. but if you can be consistent from that point forward, you will absolutely catch people's attention and they'll start asking the question, what's wrong with Audie? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I, I, that, th thank you for sharing that story. I, I think that was, um, it really made the point. And I, I hear what you're saying about it takes courage because, you know, what is it about leaders that they aren't necessarily comfortable with apologizing or, you know, owning? Mm -hmm. Their, their role, do they think then people are going to think less of them or are going to take advantage of them? No, I, I, one of my favorite authors is a guy named Edwin H. Friedman. And the first book, book he wrote was called Generation to Generation, where he described where these behaviors come from. Hmm. And they're handed down. They're handed down in families. They're handed down in manufacturing businesses. They're handed down in academic organizations. They're handed down in government organizations. Uh, Friedman was a, a very uh, accomplished consultant in this space. And, and he said, I, I had an aha moment when I realized, oh my goodness, this is consistent across any organization. It's there all the time. And so oh. I think the point was, we, we know where it's coming from, now we have to figure out how do we break the cycle. Yeah. And for me, part of it is we've got to stop rewarding heroics. And we've got to start rewarding and promoting within our organizations those behaviors that we want more of. 
Okay, and, and what, what would that look like? I agree with you. I just would love to get a visual on what that would look like to be rewarding the behavior that we want more of. Well, first of all, um, I, had a, I had a leader, uh, David Bozeman was his name. I, I look up to him even to this day, but he shared with me a thought, well, with the organization, um, boring factory. And his point was, a lot of the heroics and a lot of the chaos that we see in our organizations, we created because we reward these behaviors. And whether we do it intentionally or unintentionally, if we reward heroics, if we reward the firefighters, well, then you're going to have fires across your organization so that someone can be rewarded. So the first thing we want to do is, and this goes right back into the four systems. One, the strategy system says these are the things that are important. Two, the management system creates those ongoing accountability conversations so that everyone is focused on producing that. Third, when we find the gaps in performance, we use the performance systems or the process improvement tools to make our processes produce what we want. And and finally, we create the right leadership structures so that everyone feels part of the solution, not excluded, but anyone can bring up any problem or any topic whenever they want to because it's important to them and it is received by the managerial culture and it's responded to appropriately. Yeah, I would think that that would be a huge shift for a lot of organizations. It, it, it very much is, it very much is. Um, I actually had a VP of, of operations at one organization. He was doing a, um, a skip level meeting. He came to my office and he said, I have a question for you. Why do you lead the way that you lead? He said, I've noticed. He said, your people behave differently than others. Why, why is that? What are you doing? And I said to him, I said, we have to become the virus in this organization that takes over the culture. And so my job is to develop each of my team members to behave in that way. And I'm glad that you noticed that we behave differently. I'm trying to create a viral takeover here so that everyone in our organization looks the same. Okay. Can you give me, us, uh, a, a, like a, another example, like what would that look like if I wanted to start getting, you know, let's say I never did it before. Let's say, you know, I'll give you a scenario. I'm a business owner, um, small business owner. I have, you know, 50 employees. And COVID hits and everyone goes home and I get them all set up. Now we are working in a completely different way. And um, I want to make sure that people are communicating, that they're productive, that, um, you know, we're problem solving, you know, all of those things. What would you suggest what would like be the first thing you would suggest that i do to start that process 
your question takes me back to Friedman. There were two elements that he included in his description of leadership presence that just resonate for me. And, and quite frankly, I, I can see myself in them. Others have even said this. But the first one that I think you're, you're after is uh, the term he used is self-regulation. And what he's referring to is the ability to maintain your calm composure in the face of anything you're challenged with. Because leaders shouldn't freak out. Yeah. Because what that does is it sends a message to the team. Oh my gosh, we're in trouble, right? The leader is the one that, that stands firm in the face of these challenges and calmly thinks through the right response or calmly asks the group the right questions. And so self-regulation is critical. Being able to maintain that calm presence is really something that I think teams, teams long for in their leaders. We can yeah. trust this person. We can stand behind this person. This person will stand in front of us and this person will take us through this. Look how calm this person is. Yeah, right. There's a lot of confidence in that. Yes. Yeah, right. Okay, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. And um, I, a lot of times I think that leaders believe that they're supposed to have all the answers, which I, I don't believe they are, and I have a feeling you don't either. Um, and so I wonder, you know, if that plays into their not, um, like sometimes not communicating because they're thinking, okay, well, I don't have the answers and people are looking to me for the answers. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not going to say anything mm -hmm. until I can figure out what in the world we should be doing as opposed to doing what you're saying, which is calmly pulling everyone together and saying, okay, here's the situation. Let's talk about it. Let's problem solve. Yes. And I, I absolutely agree with, I've seen what you described, not saying anything. The other side of that coin is defensiveness. When a leader recognizes I've got a problem, I don't know how to, to solve it and someone comes along and asks a question about it, you know you're on the right path when defensiveness absolutely explodes in your face. Because that is, that is lighting the fuse of discomfort and it's for the very reason that you just described. I think I'm supposed to know the answer and I don't. Okay. That makes me something less. You need to let that go because that's not what this is all about. Yeah, so leadership presence, I mean, I, I would love it if, if you would maybe talk more about that because it feels like the, the, the leaders who really show up are the ones whose egos aren't in the mix. Yes, yes. Lead with humility is another one of those lean principles that, quite frankly, the leadership systems and the leadership material that I teach is really focused about putting yourself aside and actually committing to the mission of the community. And when the community sees that in you, they show up differently as well. But why would I follow a leader who is only interested in self-preservation and self-reward? Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to contribute to that. And we can right. see that in a lot of cultures when we just take a look around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Gee, some things are coming to mind. 
Mm, there's um, a lot. <laughs> it really is really amazing. Um, and and they and the leaders who are like that just don't realize that no one's buying it. You know that that they're not that or the people see through it. I guess you know yes. it does not engender trust. Yes, people see through it for sure. Yeah, yeah. The other thing though that I, there, there's another tangent that I'd like to take here, and that sure. is I I often explore this with many leaders, and, and the, the question that I asked uh, it one group in, in uh, Vancouver, of all places, was why do leaders spend so much time telling team members how to do their work? And, and there was one manager in the room, I, I, I really liked the guy, but, but he, was, he was quick to tell you what he was thinking, and his response was simple and humorous, because we can. And I think his point was simply this, and we need to recognize this. Many of the leaders that we see in our organizations were promoted up through the organization. Where did they come from? Well, they came from those processes that they now oversee. Right. And so that was comfortable to them and they were successful in that work. And so when, when the outcomes aren't what we want or what we expect, what are we naturally drawn to do? Well, let me go down there and tell them how to do it. <clears throat> and then the question that I ask is, but aren't you supposed to be the one that clearly communicates the outcomes? Well, yes, yes, I am. Well, then if you're not doing that, if you're spending your time telling the teams how to do their work, who's telling the teams what success looks like? And the most difficult response is, oh, no. Yeah. Wow. Boy, that happens an awful lot. Yeah, it does. And we think we're serving. We think we're serving yeah. the team by helping them, but we're not because what they really want from us is to know, look, if you're going to evaluate me, can you please tell me what success looks like so I can work on that? Right. Right. And we shouldn't be hung up on how someone does something, but rather um, how well or that, that they actually achieve the outcome that we need, because allowing them to do it their way. I, this is what I used to say when, when I was in leadership, you know, as long as it's legal, ethical and moral, go for it. You know, you got a better way, rock on. I do not necessarily have the best way to do anything, but here's where we have to get to. Absolutely. And then they have that ownership. Yes. Hmm. So I know uh, business owners who feel really vulnerable mm -hmm. to let go of process. Like they will say, um, well, I'm just afraid they're not going to do it like I do. Mm -hmm. And of course, my response is, great, they shouldn't do it like you do. That's not really the thing. But what would you say, like, you know, what, what advice would you give a business owner like that so they can get over that feeling of vulnerability? This points directly back into that management system space. So I think the vulnerability is all, also if I give up on the how, I'm giving up on the outcome. 
And so one of the one of the techniques that I, I try to teach them is, well, I'm not asking you to give up on anything. Um, there's two questions that I teach um, I teach in that management system space. The first one is, did you follow your standard work? Well, let me translate that to something because a lot of organizations don't have standard work. That's fine. Did you follow your plan? That's the first question. The second question is, did you produce the intended results? And if you can get your teams into those two questions on a regular and frequent basis, you can actually open the door to process improvement because if the team says, yes, we followed the plan, and you say, well, but we didn't produce the intended results, guess what that leaves? The problem is in the process. Well, let's figure out where in the process it's broken and we can fix this so that we can answer both of those questions, yes and yes. At that point, if, if, if I'm the entrepreneur that started this business, if, if, if I'm the founder and every process in my organization is ask, answering those two questions, yes and yes, things are going really well. Okay, so, so it just shifts the focus, really, right? You're having them focus on something other than how people are doing what they're doing. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, is there... I don't know how I want to ask this question. Um, at, well, I'm going to ask it this way, and I'm not really sure it's the right way to ask it, but is, is there like, are, are there points in time when companies should be reviewing their standard operating procedures to ensure that they really are, you know, as, as good as they could be or should be? Yes, absolutely. Um, and I want to stay in this, this uh, that what I just described earlier, those two questions really is the core of, of what I call the accountability cycles. Okay. Um, and so when a, when a manager asks those questions on a regular and frequent basis, what he does is, as you pointed out, it refocuses the team, but the team stays focused on that oh. as long as that frequency is set at the, right, at the right level. And people often ask me, well, what's the right frequency? Yeah. And my answer to that is the frequency correlates to your ability to correct so when you, when you implement changes in your process, you don't want to ask in an hour, did that work, right? Did you follow your process? Did you produce the intended results? In, in, in the next hour, that, those two questions are meaningless because it, those changes have to take time to settle in. But if you wait right. six months, well, you've missed the window of opportunity because now that I've gotten used to this and no one's coming and talking to me about yeah. it, I don't know if this is important or not. I'm just going to go back and do it the way that I was. Yeah. So that frequency is critical to maintain the optimal level of focus within the team. That's really interesting. I get that. Thank you for that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Okay. Now, um, 
uh, th this might be my last question, but you, we, you had said something earlier, like way earlier about, you know, people communicating and it got me thinking about feedback loops and how important it is that, that people know that they can and should be communicating, you know, up the chain, across the chain, down, you know, whatever. Um, would you talk some about not only, you know, why that matters, but how a leader can encourage or, you know, ways that they could be encouraging people to do that? Mm -hmm. Certainly. I, I, I want to start with up the chain. That's the first right. thought that came to my mind. Yeah. Um, um, I was introduced to an idea. Basically, it was a common template. Well, let me, let me take one step back before I go there. Okay. Everything that we do, everything that we do is the result of a process. Period. There is, there is no outcome that doesn't come from a process. Whether it's formal or informal is probably the better question, but there is a process there. The same is true in building relationships up and down that chain of command. And so now the template comment makes sense. I was introduced to a template, an 11 question template that would allow me as a report to answer these 11 questions and prepare my manager for a more pertinent and realistic conversation about what, I, what I'm doing and what I'm responsible for. So I would fill out the template, send it to my manager at least two days in advance so that he or she could read it, consider it, and then be prepared for this conversation. And if there's something in my responses that doesn't align to your expectations, can you please correct me? If there are things in my answers that are completely off the charts, can you please correct me? But, but one of the comments that I would often make is, look, I'm telling you in this document, everything that I'm going to do over the next month. If you don't like it, you need to tell me right now because I'm going to have a problem if you complain about it in two weeks. When you knew two weeks ago, I was going to do that. Yeah. And the, the relationships and the conversations that come out of that are incredible. I, I, there's a story that I tell. I, I had a young engineer. Um, she wanted to be promoted within the organization. And one of the requirements was you had to be a frontline supervisor to move into a management role. No matter what function it was, you had to be on that shop floor managing that work. And so she, she bid into my group and I, I received her and, and I, I, I called her one day. And in the middle of my phone call, I get a text from her and she says, I don't take phone calls, just text me. And I sent her a text and I said, come to my office. I want to talk to you. <laughs> and Diane, you should have seen her peek around the corner when she got their eyes wide open. She's thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to get fired. And I said, no, I just want to really learn more about you. I want to make sure that you and I are on the same page. I want to introduce you to this template because this is the conversation that I want us to have going forward. And the, the relationship was incredible. It just blossomed and grew into amazing things. She was promoted and promoted and promoted afterwards. And, and she, well, she, she became the next virus that we planted in the organization. Amazing, amazing woman. 
Um, but she learned to put all these pieces together and she created that same culture within her, her own group and her own responsibilities. That's a reflection, I think, of, of what you're after, learning how to be in relationship, learning how to talk authentically, yeah. to listen authentically. That allows us to not only move up and down the chain, but also to move across the organization in the right conversations. Well, and one of the biggest things I just got out of that, uh, which I subscribe to wholeheartedly, is that you have to remember what the goal is. So the goal of the conversation is not to admonish, not to reprimand, not to criticize. The goal of the conversation is to move forward. So because the way that you handled that was not to say, okay, listen, don't ever do that again. Mm -hmm. Now, it is not your decision whether you pick up the phone when I call you, which, you know, I could see a lot of bosses doing. And mm -hmm. I noticed I did not say leaders, right? Yes. <laughs> but what you did was you said, no, come on, I just want to get to know you, you know, be on the same page. Because the goal, because you had the goal in mind, you knew what, you know, whether it was her getting promoted or not, it was maximize, you know, everyone being able to maximize their relationship with each other in the organization so the organization could succeed. Yes, yes. And the, the idea that surfaces for me in your statement is, how is it that leaders are evaluated on their individual performance or on the performance of their team members? Right. So my success is all about hers. Yeah. Well, yes, and... I think that's another reason why people end up coming down hard on people mm -hmm. because they feel like they, their future is at stake because of how someone else is behaving, but they don't step and think, okay, how am I going to get the solution? How am I going to get the best out of this situation? What is my goal here? Mm -hmm. They go instantly to the, the negative. Yes. It doesn't work. Yes. And, and, I have to confess something. I, I, oof, my wife knows this about me. When I run into those leaders, Diane, I, I often say, uh, have you ever seen a cat play with a mouse? So I'll, I'll ask very pointed questions to, to try and sting these leaders so that they recognize. So my question in this space is yes. And who created that failure mode in this relationship? Yeah. It wasn't the, it wasn't the employee. It wasn't the team member. It was the way that you set this up or failed to set it up to create the success that both of you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I still have some of those directive leadership styles that show up every now and then. <laughs> and I know that. So there's my confession for the day. Well, okay. But sometimes people have to be, you know, hit over the head with a brick. I mean, you know, come on. <laughs> leaders i mean or people who want to be leaders that's right not, you know not, not the staff oh my gosh Audie, i really enjoyed this conversation and and learned a lot um which just tells me that so did the listeners um will you tell the listeners about your book and about like you know how they can find you and all that great stuff please sure um i wrote a book it's called thinking lean 
rather than lean thinking. And, and I know that lean thinking title is out there and I'm certainly not being critical of that. I've actually read it many times and learned from it, but I wanted to shift the focus because lean thinking is something you can talk about. Thinking lean is something that you do. And that's exactly what I'm trying to get people to step into. Oh. So the thinking lean book really is focused on the management systems and the performance systems and the relationships between those two. It certainly spills over into the strategy systems. Um, I also have a workbook called tactical leadership that I work out of uh, with my clients um, and, it, and it's all encompassing. You have to have both of those pieces working together if you're going to overcome that, uh, that statistic that I mentioned earlier, the, the yeah. failure rate. I'm all how do they find those things? Uh, you, you can visit my website, audipen.com. Um, you can click on the link to my LinkedIn and connect with me. Um, I have a, a partner in the group who his name is Mark Shobar. Uh, he is really the doorway into conversations with me. I, I'm very busy, but I absolutely have time uh, for anyone new who's interested in learning this. Uh, we're building a, a bigger group uh, as well. But that's the place to start. And, and what that looks like is simply, we'll get on the phone with you. I'll get on the phone with you and just start to explore what it is you're challenged with, what it is you want to accomplish, and then we'll figure out what's the right way to approach it. Nice. Yeah, boy. And, and I j just imagine that is really an enlightening and enjoyable experience just based on this conversation. So um, thank you for you know, sharing so much information. And um, I encourage the listeners to um, go to the website, connect with you on LinkedIn, reach out, get the book, listen to this episode again. There, there was a lot of really valuable information here. So Audie, thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate our conversation today and, and the time they gave me. Absolutely. Excellent. And listeners, thank you. I'd also like to thank our sponsor. Go to audibletrial.com slash business growth and get a trial of audible.com and then go exploring. Check out all of the content and see what it is you'd like to be um, accessing consistently. As always, remember to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Me, 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 but also you. <laughs> the Pharaoh fast-forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh, man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm going to need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.